Well, I know we have a, a lot of guests with us today. We are at the end of a very long series that started back in March. It's going to end next Sunday. We've entitled it, What Is? And we've been looking at a lot of questions. We looked at, what is God? What is the Bible? What is the church? And the last, uh, most recent part here, the question we've been answering is, what is the end? And in answering that one question, this is, I guess, our sixth Sunday to answer that question. We've looked at what is the rapture, what is the tribulation, what is the second coming. We've looked at what is the millennium. And today we come to look at what is heaven. Now, as we kind of prepare our minds to think about heaven, I, I want you to start thinking of some things right now. What, what comes into your mind when you think about a really beautiful place? What's the most exciting, most beautiful place that, that you've been to or would like to go to or, or get a chance to go to regularly? For me, you know, that's the mountains. I love the mountains, mountain streams. That, that's just kind of when I think of beauty, that's what's going to come to my mind. Or, or how about, uh, throw this one out, luxury. When, when you think of luxury and elegance, what comes to your mind? Is it a certain kind of car? Maybe it's uh, eating at a certain restaurant. For me, it'd be a mansion in those mountains, by the way. That'd be luxury for me. You know, endless resources. Or how about this? We've, we're thinking about what's beautiful, what's luxurious and elegant. How about what is the perfect life? As you think, and we've all got money, I, I wish I could have this life. This would be the perfect life. What are the elements of that? Is it where you live? Is it the kind of food you eat? I mean, it always comes back to food, doesn't it, somewhere? Good food, I hope it would include, I think it would include certain family. <laughs> I shouldn't say certain family. <laughs> perfect life wouldn't include that family. Uh, all of our family, <laughs> uh, it would include family, it would include friends, maybe certain activities. Have you ever noticed when we think about the perfect life, we're usually doing nothing? <laughs> I mean, you know, that means we're just sitting and staring somewhere on a beach or in the mountain. You know, I, for me, I think part of the perfect life would include uh, a sense of accomplishment and, and productivity. I think that's a, a part of it. You know, when we think about these words, luxury, perfection, beauty, uh, different images are going to come in our mind. We're all, we're all, something gets us all a little bit excited a different way or we look for something a little bit different way. But, but while different images and ideas will come to our mind, our, our mind's all the same in this. It's very physical and real things that come to our mind. It, it's not make-believe that comes to our mind. It's very real things. And you know what? That's how God communicates heaven. He communicates heaven in some very real concepts, some very physical ideas. We are a physical people and we're created in a physical world. That's the way God has made us. There's certainly a very important spiritual element to life that, that the scripture guides us in. But an acceptance, an understanding, a growth in the spiritual does not mean a denial of the physical. We're physical beings. And God comes to us in, in Chapters like Revelation 21 and 22, which we're going to be looking at this morning. And he communicates heaven in some very physical terms. And you know what, folks? I think we miss that a lot. Have you noticed that, that as humans we tend to turn heaven into something you can't quite understand? You know, it's kind of smoky and I, I think you sit on a cloud a long time and I, you might be playing a harp or something. And, and then I'm trying to imagine, okay, now heaven's supposed to be everything I want, and I'm playing a harp forever and ever and ever? And, you know, way down deep, we think thoughts we would never say to anybody else. 
That sounds kind of boring. You know, and we just have these really can't quite grasp it. Heaven's not very physical. Heaven's not very real. You can't. What, I mean, what do you do there? Now, see, the problem with having heaven couch like that is that, folks, God has given us heaven not only as a reward for tomorrow, but it is to be a hope and a motivation and an encouragement for today. Well, how can I find hope in something I don't understand? How, how can I be encouraged by something I don't even I, I can't I can't even touch it. It's not even that real to me. You see, folks, we need to go back to understanding what God has communicated in his word. And folks, I haven't found a verse yet that says I'm going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity. I don't know why we think that because God didn't say that. So let's go find out what God said, shall we? Turn with me this morning to Revelation 21 and 22. This is just one of a a number of passages that communicate what heaven is like. Now, folks, as I read this passage, and and you're going to find that kind of my philosophy on this is that God wants us to understand what heaven is. We can actually go back to the exact opposite of where you are in your Bible right now. We can go back to the very beginning. And folks, in the Garden of Eden, as God presents that, we look at how he created the world, how he created the people, what instructions he gave them. That was the beginning of a heaven-like existence. Now, sin got it all messed up, but that was the beginning of a heaven-like existence. And much of that is being restored in the new heaven. It's a very physical place in a world that we know and understand. So as we read this, don't think, gosh, I wonder what that means. Don't turn it into something mystical. Read it, hear it, see it exactly for what it's saying. Revelation 21. What are we going to see in heaven? Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea existed no longer. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then jump down to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who'd held seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. Now you notice here, folks, God clearly likes mountains, you know, like me. And uh, he threw away the sea. Uh, You know, don't need the beach. I'm going to come back and explain that in a moment, by the way. (laughs) So uh, anyway, verse 10. Is that where I left off? Yes. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a a very precious stone, like jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. On the gates, names were inscribed, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The city wall had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the Lamb's twelve apostles. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. We're going to come back and interpret that. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the human measurement which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. 
The first foundation, Jasper. The second, Sapphire. The third, Chalcedony. The fourth, Emerald. The fifth, Sardonyx. The sixth, Carnelian. The seventh, Chrysolite. The eighth, Beryl. The ninth, Topaz. The tenth, Chrysoprase. The eleventh, Jacinth. The twelfth, Amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. Would you like to see the oyster that popped that out? My goodness. The broad street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. When we step into heaven, what do we see? Well, right away it says there that we see a new heaven and a new earth. The old has, been, has passed away. The old is done away with. So right away we know what we're going to see is going to be brand new. It's not a renovation. It's not a fixer-upper. The angels didn't come down here after the judgment and clean up and, and say, okay, let's see if we can start this over. We've got a brand new heaven. We've got a brand new earth. And God wants us to understand that. Folks, realize something here. God's communicating to us in terms that we know. We know what the word earth means, don't we? And that's why I had you think about beauty. When you hear the word earth, images come to your mind. You think of the mountains. You think of the Grand Canyon. You think of places you've been. You think of something you've seen in pictures. Well, folks, when God says the word earth, He knows these images come to our mind. That's what He intends to come to our mind when He uses the word earth. Now, there are some differences. It says here that there's no sea. Now, to be honest with you, I don't really know what to do with that passage. I mean, I, I, when I say I don't know what to do, there's two things I can do with the phrase, there's no sea. One, I can read it literally, and that's usually where I'm going to start, and say, okay, there's no sea. There's not going to be any major body of water in the new heaven and the new earth. There's rivers. We know there's a river of life. There could be rivers and lakes, but maybe there's not going to be any major body of water. That'd be a real change when you consider that we're called the blue planet. I mean, most of our planet today is, is covered by water. So that is possibly what it means. Another way to take it, and I actually do lean this way, is to read that, to hear that symbolically. Because throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the sea has been symbolic for chaos. It's been symbolic for, for trial and, and tribulation. It's been symbolic of storm. And when you look at how this reads, what's been done away with? The old earth and there's no more sea. Well, folks, you remember in the book of Revelation, the earth and sea, what did we get out of the earth and sea? We got two beasts. We got the false prophet and the antichrist, the beast of the earth and the, and the beast of the sea. So what could be being said in this is that as we enter this new heaven and new earth, the old and everything bad that goes with that. The, the storms, the chaos, the trials, the hard parts, everything that's been touched by sin, that's all gone. And now we have a new heaven and a new earth. And when God says earth, he expects us to understand what comes to our mind when we think of earth. It says there's one other difference, and, and that is the sun and the moon are not going to have the same impact in this new economy. Now, when it's, a lot of people read that and say there's not going to be a sun and a moon in heaven. And that's not what it says. It says that the light that we live in, the light that we enjoy, is not going to be radiated by the sun and the moon. It doesn't say they're not there. It says they're not having the same impact. Why? Because the glory of God, 
The lamp of the Lamb is what enlightens this earth and what enlightens the whole universe. I would picture it like this. I've got my flashlight here. And this is a good flashlight, by the way. Okay, This isn't something I got for free you know, at a fair or something. This is expensive. It hurts your eyes when you look at it. Okay, This, this, this flashlight, this is a good, bright flashlight. In the new heaven and new earth, this is the sun. It's there. It's bright. But in this size and with all of the lighting that's already here, it just has no impact. We're not, I mean, we see it, but we're not lightened by this. Well, that's what this passage is saying. Sun and the moon are there. They're just not going to have any impact when you compare them to the light of God's glory. So that's what that looks like. So we see possibly a little bit of difference in, in if it's literal that there's no sea. We see a little bit of difference in that the sun and the moon, which I do believe are there because I go to chapter 22 and we have months and seasons and, and that is guided by the sun and the moon. So they're there, but they're not going to have the same impact. But other than those two differences, folks, everything that comes to your mind when you think of an earth should still be coming to your mind. Again, doesn't talk about clouds, doesn't talk about playing a harp or, or we're just floating. No, we're living on a real planet. We're, we're living on a real globe in a real world with, with physical bodies is what God pictures for us here. It, you know, it, it's a little bit better. It's untouched by sin and it's perfect. Whereas we've never seen a perfect creation. You've never seen. Think how beautiful it is outside today. Do you realize that sky and the ground you walked on and everything about the day you're seeing has been touched by sin? It's beautiful out there today, but it's been touched by sin. We're going to see a creation that's never been touched by sin. Obviously, John here, while he introduces us, he shows us this new heaven and new earth that the angel is showing him. He takes a lot of time to hone us in on a particular spot, a new city. A new Jerusalem, a holy city. It is a unique city. It's set aside. It is special. Now, here again, just like we did with earth, when we say earth, certain images come to our mind, right? Well, when you hear the word city, God's goal here is to communicate. God wants you to know and understand what he's talking about. When he uses the word city, he knows what comes into our mind. And that's what he intends. And so when we hear the word city, man, a lot of things, when I think of city, I think of art and entertainment, and museums and, and sports and, and big buildings and masses of people and business and, and productivity. A lot of good things come with the city. Now, there's a lot of bad things that come with the city too, aren't there? Matter of fact, a lot of us would say, I don't ever want to live in the city because of what we associate with the city. The last couple of days I was in Houston for a conference looking at a, a ministry we're looking at doing here in our church and uh, went out to dinner one night and I noticed and I noticed this already several times that that there's golf carts uh, driving around all of the all of the uh, parking lots of grocery stores and restaurants. And so wh why you know why is there a golf cart everywhere? I grew up in Houston. I don't remember that being the case. And uh, the, the reason that is is because you have a pretty decent chance of getting mugged when you go to the grocery store or to a restaurant. And so now if anybody wants business, they've got to show that they've got security for you. Now that's awful, isn't it? I mean, that's why a lot of us would choose, I, I don't ever want to live in a big city. Or, or we like, you know, wide open spaces. We, we need to get out where we can breathe and we don't, we don't like the congestion. And we're going to talk about spacing here in just a moment. But folks, any of the negative things that you would think of when you think of a large city, don't think of any of that. None of that will be in this city as we're going to see in a moment. But all the other things that come to your mind 
with the word city, I, I would anticipate that's what God intends to come to mind because his goal here is communication. Now, this thing says, man, it, it, the sky opens, the new Jerusalem is delivered, and it's like a bride in all of her adornment. Now, you know, again, folks, God's wanting to communicate. So he talks to a lot of us guys. You remember what it was like when the doors we were standing probably about, you know, somewhere like right here in this church or another church and the, and the doors came open and there she was. And it, oh, my. Some of us even cried. I was I was a crybaby. Anybody else cry? A few of us. I could not wait till the pastor said, could we pray? I had snot running out of my nose. I had tears. Every, I needed to clean up, you know, and I didn't want to do that while people were looking. So I said, could we pray or something? You know, but I mean, oh, gosh. There's my bride. Folks, that's that's what God's communicating when he says it's like a bride. It's like, oh, my God, how beautiful, how wonderful. That's everything I've been waiting for, everything I've been looking for. And then it says as it comes down, it is arrayed in the glory of God. Now, that's something kind of hard to get our arms around, isn't it? What does that mean when something is arrayed in the glory of God? Well, you know, we can kind of think about that in terms of the glory of man. You know, think about the big cities in the United States. I said a moment ago, I grew up in Houston. I've lived in Dallas. I've, I've been to L.A. and San Francisco and Denver and Miami. I love Chicago and New York City. My goodness. Folks, a lot of you have had this experience when you drive up or you're flying in on one of these. I mean, it's just overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, it's massive, it's big, it, it just kind of speaks of productivity and the power and the strength of man. You go, oh my gosh, look how, how big that is. I mean, New York City, I've been there uh, half a dozen times, I still walk around like a tourist going, look at all the concrete. Look how tall everything, I, I mean, your mouth hangs open. You know what that is? That's the experience of glory. In that moment, that, that, oh my God, that is being overwhelmed. That's in awe. That's experiencing the glory of man. You stand there and you go up and you look at the, at the Empire State Building, 1,453 feet high, the Empire State Building. On a day like today, you could see 80 miles in every direction, cover four states, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. From one building. You can see four states. See, that speaks of the power of man when you're in awe and taking this all in in one of these cities. Well, folks, the Scripture says that the glory of man can't even be compared to the glory of God. You, you, we can't, I mean, I, it helps me. I want to try to understand what this experience of, of seeing the glory of God is. I know kind of what it's like to see the glory of man, and yet you can't even put it on the same scale. The glory of God is exponentially more than we can even multiply and understand greater. I mean, I, get, oh, I mean, it's just going to be completely overwhelming when we see that. And, and John here begins to try to explain what he's seeing and, and, and its size and everything. And he talks about this wall, this wall that goes all the way around it. It's 144 cubits. That's 200 feet high. There's a 20-story wall that encompasses, that goes all the way around the entire city. Oh, there, there's 12 gates, and over each gate is the name of, of one of the tribes of Israel. There's 12 foundations in the wall, and in each one of those foundations is the name of one of the apostles. Now, the apostles were all Jews, but the apostles are representative of the church. So as you approach, as you see the new Jerusalem, what you see God doing is blending together Jew and Gentile, the greatest prejudice that has existed on this planet in human history. So as you approach this wall, it's almost like God says, before you even get here, I want you to know something. There's no prejudice here. 
We don't divide by race. We don't divide by ethnicity. We are one. There is a unity. There is a peace among men as you enter this great city. And, and the wall speaks of, especially in, the, in these times that the Bible written, the, ball, the wall speaks of security. It, 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 it's peace. It's a place of security and peace as this wall encompasses the city. Twelve gates. There's an angel, an honor guard standing at each gate. Now, folks, gates are for what? Coming and going. This is an awesome city. I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to live in it. But it doesn't say we have to stay here. Again, don't you just float around? Do you do anything? Folks, we're going to be coming and going. I think going throughout the earth and possibly more. We're going to be going throughout the earth, researching, enjoying, understanding, working. We'll be moving in and out of these gates that are made by a single pearl. Now, you know what? I, I don't know how big the gate is. It doesn't give us the dimensions of the gate. But the gate, you would think, is built in proportion to the wall, wouldn't you? The wall is 200 feet high. The gate has to be big enough for masses of people to be moving in and out. So it is a big gate. Again, I want to see that oyster. This is a monster pearl here. Now, if that alone, if, if the pearl alone is not enough for you, you go through these 12 foundations... Each one of the foundations is made by a, a different jewel, a different precious gem. Do you see the luxury? Folks, don't, don't make this mystical. Don't spiritualize it. it. It is what it is. There is incredible wealth, incredible luxury, incredible elegance that has gone into building the wall. This is just the wall. We get inside and it's gold and it's crystal and, and glass and it is big. It says here that the wall that encompasses the city is 12,000 stadia. A stadia is 600 feet. 6 times 12,000, 7.2 million. Divide that by 5,280, which is how many feet there are in a mile. And you have a wall that is almost 1,400 miles long. That's the distance from Maine to Florida. And it's that wide. Did you notice it said the city's a square? It's as wide as it is long. It gives us the measurements and says, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it's not just that it's that long and wide. It's also the same distance high. Now, folks, I don't I don't my mind can't grasp that. I don't know what that means. It, the city goes 14. Remember the Empire State Building? 1,453 feet in the air. This city goes 1,400 miles into outer space. Can you imagine waiting on the elevator there? Oh my gosh. I, you know, I hope you're not trying to move stuff up and down. Now, what does that mean that it goes 1,400 miles in the air? I, I mean, in my mind, I, I can only understand this two ways. One, there's going to be a, a mass of buildings, a lot of stuff that is going 1,400 miles up, or possibly the city is tiered. It's multiple levels. There, there, there's a level one and there is a massive city, by the way, that covers two thirds of the United States. Remember the glory of man? We come up on New York City. We come up on L.A. We're we're flying over Denver. and We're going, oh, look at that. That's a spot. This one city is two thirds would cover two thirds of the United States and go that high into the air. Do you see how you can't begin to compare the glory of man to the glory of God? What is going to be like to fly up on this? It will be awesome if you spread people out in this like people are spread out in a city today. And again, they're kind of congested. But but in a city today, this city would hold a hundred billion people. Now, you know, we get into billions and trillions and, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about the deficit. And that's not what the sermon's about today. 
100 billion people. Folks, there are 6 billion people on the planet today. Now, obviously, it's at its greatest right now. I mean, at times in the earth have been much, much less than that. and It's kind of grown. I, I don't know what the number is. I'm sure somebody's on somewhere. I should have Googled it. But let's say 9, million, not 9 billion. Let's say up to today, 9 billion people have existed. That's probably guessing very high. So that would mean there's 15 billion human beings that have ever lived. This city, the city alone holds 100 billion people. For these country lovers that need some space, this is going to have plenty of space. Everybody gets a corner office here, okay? It's all big. This is what God has for us, folks. It is awesome. It is big. It is physical. It is real. And what do you do in a city? You work and you live and you produce. You have meaningful lives. It, it, the best thing about the work here is it's work without weeds. Praise God. There's no weeds in heaven. Weeds is a product of sin. You work, it's without sweat. You work, it's real work, but it's not frustrating. See, that's what sin does. Folks, we were commanded in the Garden of Eden to work. In the heaven-like experience there, we were going to work. Sin brought frustration and sweat. Sin brought the ability to work and have it break. To work and have it produce nothing. To work and you got holes in your pocket. In heaven, you work and it produces and it's meaningful. We live productive, meaningful lives. And it's not necessarily just in this city. You come and go from this city. Folks, it goes 1,400 miles into outer space. I believe this is an opinion. I don't have a verse for this. I believe we'll explore the universe in heaven. And here's why. Don't you go out some mornings, some nights, you look up into that starry sky and it just leads you to say, praise God. For me, I see those mountains and I say, man, praise the Lord. Look at his immensity, his majesty. Some of us, we look at the detail on all these little fish and butterflies and, and they're all painted in colors. And we, see, we see, when we look at creation, we learn something about the immensity of God, the, the intricacy of God, the massiveness of God, the intimacy of God. Creation helps us to know him and to praise him. Well, folks, I've got all eternity to get to know him, all eternity to explore how he's worked and how he's created. Why would we not be traveling throughout the universe in eternity, coming and going, always coming home to this great city that God has for us? Heaven is a place that you want. And would you believe that nothing I just described is the best part of heaven? The best part of heaven, when you go there, you see God. Folks, it is God that makes heaven heaven. The opportunity to be in a relationship with him. Look at 21 again. Chapter 21, verse 3. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling, where God resides, where God lives, is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. Verse 22. I did not see a sanctuary in heaven. You know, think about in our physical sense, we tie God to a building, don't we? I think I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be closer to God. I'm, I'm going to go to church and be with God, talk to God. There's no place to go in heaven that you're any closer to God than where you're standing. There, there is no building to identify that's where God is. There's no need for that because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary. Chapter 22, verse 3. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Folks, what makes heaven heaven is the opportunity to live and to be with and to see God all throughout the Scripture. All throughout the Scripture, it communicates a relationship, not a religion, 
not rituals, not rules. Oh, say, oh, that's silly. The Bible's full of rules. It says, thou shalt not lie. You know why? Because God's truth. And if you want to relate with God and if you want to enjoy God, then you're going to live in truth. Lying is living in opposition, not to a rule. It's living in opposition to his character. God says you shouldn't murder. Why? Because God's life. To destroy life, to attack life, to hurt life. Jesus even says to say, I hate you. That's an attack on life. That's not God. God is the promotion of life. So anything that's against that, you're attacking his character. So it's not rules, folks. It's a relationship. And when we get to heaven, what culminates, what's the high point of heaven is to be with God and to relate with God. It is God that makes heaven heaven. There's also some things that we will not see in heaven. Look with me at chapter 21 again, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist because the previous things have passed away. Chapter or verse 27. Uh, that's not it. Well, somewhere else in here it says there also will not be curse. I think that's in chapter 22 somewhere. I've run out. Where is it on the screen? You'll see it up there. There will also not be a curse in heaven. The scripture says there's seven things that are not going to be in heaven. You see them there. There's no C. Now, we've said there's a question mark whether that's a physical statement or a symbolic statement. You, you take it symbolically. There's no chaos. There's no trial, no tribulation, no storm, no death, grief, crying, pain, night, and curse. There it is. Chapter 22, verse 3. Now, folks, it's not just that those things won't be in heaven. But anything that causes those things will not be in heaven. So what causes, what causes death? Well, we've got aging. We've got crime. We've got disease. We've got accidents. None of that will be in heaven because those things cause death. That means you realize you won't bump your head in heaven. Because bumping your head could cause you to die. You won't have no accidents in heaven. What about, look at those, grief, crying, and pain. I would imagine some of us in here, maybe too many of us in here, this past week you have felt grief. This past week you've cried. This past week you felt pain emotionally or physically. What causes that? That list is too long, isn't it? Thousands of things cause grief, crying and praying. None of that, none of that will be in heaven. Now the scripture also says there's one other thing that's not in heaven and that's not everybody. Not everybody is in heaven. Heaven is not the default location of all of humanity until something goes wrong. Heaven is not where everybody is heading. Let's look and see what Scripture says here. Chapter 21, verse 8. It says, but the cowards... Now, cowards there is not referring to people who are scared of the dark. Okay? Or afraid of snakes. Cowards here are those who are afraid, who are ashamed to associate their life with God. We all know what that means. Even as believers, sometimes we're not quite sure we want that group of people to know we're a believer. But there are most people, I don't want to be associated with that. I'd be ashamed to be associated with that. Cowards, with the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then let's go back over to verse 27 of chapter 21. Nothing profane will ever enter into it, that's heaven, no one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, folks, I, I, I told you what we've been looking at here these last several weeks. Last week, we were in the, in the millennium, this thousand-year reign of Christ. It ended at the great white throne. At the great white throne, all unbelievers of all time are resurrected. 
They're, they're judged and they are put into the lake of fire. Remember who's already there? Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet were already there. Then all unbelievers are judged and put there. Now, when we finish chapter 20, chronologically, we're, we're done with that. We're, we're done with the past. We're, we're done with that whole stage. We've entered heaven. Chapter 21 and 22, John, this angel, are walking us around, giving us a tour of heaven, letting us see what it is like. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of this tour, two phrases are used. The Lamb's Book of Life and the Lake of Fire. It's two phrases that take us back into Chapter 20, as God is showing us this great place, this great gift that he has for us, this great home that he has prepared for us. It's like he stops right in the middle of it and says, you know, not everyone will be enjoying this. Not everyone will be here. You see, folks, to be in. Heaven, you have to be a citizen. You have to be a citizen of heaven. You have to be in the Lamb's book of life. Well, that kind of begs the question, well, how do I know if I'm a citizen? How do I prove, how do I show that my name is in the Lamb's book of life? Folks, it's proved when your heart turns from self and turns to Christ. When you turn from self, what is self? I turn from my sin. I I turn from me being in charge of life. I turn from my way of doing things. How about this? We turn from our way of defining God. Our way of pursuing God, folks, the world is filled with humanity who said, here's how I'm going to define God. And here's how I think that God should be blessed. Guess what? We don't define who God is and we don't decide how he's blessed and served. We go to God's word and we let God's word define who he is and we let his word define how we approach him. So we turn from self. And we approach him not in the way of our making, but we approach him in the way of his making. And he says that that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. Nobody comes to the father, but through me. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is very exclusive. Oh, our world hates that. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. That's exclusive, but it's inclusive in that that way is open to everybody. There's nobody that is blocked off from this way when we turn from self and we turn to Christ and we place our faith and our trust, not in what we've done or trying to do or hoping to be, but we place our faith in his work for us on the cross. That work. Remember last week, our work won't make any of the wrong go away. Our good things don't justify the bad things, but we place our faith in his work, his one work for us on the cross that cleans us of all sin, that erases all that sin and enables us to be a child of God, enables us to be a citizen of heaven and proves that our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, how can we study this great place, this very real physical place? All of humanity is moving toward eternity. Every single human is moving toward eternity and all of eternity is spent in two places, the lake of fire or heaven. What? How do you not stop and say, where am I going? I mean, folks, I want a good life as well as anybody. But, you know, when it gets down to it, what difference does it make? What kind of life I have? I got all the friends in the world. I'm completely lonely. Everything in my life has worked. Nothing in my life has worked. So what? This is a really short journey. It's what comes next that is forever and ever and ever. It demands that we stop and think, where am I going? And God has given us a tire book to find him and his way and the gift of heaven that he has for us. He lists these sins here. You know, the incredible thing. 
As we look there at verse 8, if I put my faith in Christ, there's no sin that will keep me out of heaven. He can cover every single one. But if I've not come to faith in Christ, every sin, any sin, the smallest one, the smallest amount can put me into the lake of fire. So, folks, I read this list here of sins and it just makes me think, you know, what what characterizes my life? Those are the things of Satan. Is my life more characterized by the things and the activities of Satan or is my life more characterized by the things and the activities of God? Remember, I'm trying to figure out, am I in the Lamb's book of life? Am I a citizen of heaven? Folks, this isn't hard to figure out. God hasn't made it hard to figure out what's representative of your life. That will communicate the direction that you're going. Folks, the Bible says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. He takes no pleasure in anybody going to the lake of fire. He has a gift for you. And that gift is found and discovered through the person of Jesus Christ. You know, this week we're going to wake up and enter a week. Who knows what it's going to be like? Maybe you're going to have a great week. Maybe you're going to have an awful week. Let me ask you a question. Where are you going to find peace? Well, what's going to motivate you? What's going to motivate you to do the right thing when right at the moment there doesn't seem to be any reward for doing the right thing? What's going to motivate you then? What's going to be your hope? You know, folks, the Bible, why God does a lot of good and wonderful things in this world. And he answers a lot of prayers, even in the way we ask for it. The fact is, God has never said your hope should be in this world. Because ultimately, this thing is decaying and breaking down every single day. Do you realize that's the answer to why there's so much frustration, so much depression, so much discouragement? Because, folks, all people and even believers, we invest so much hope in this world. We look so much for this world to motivate us and to encourage us. It's never going to work. God has given us heaven to be our hope our encouragement, our motivation, our peace. It's heaven, not the old earth, the new earth. Are you a citizen of that place? Jesus wants you to be. He invites you today to come follow him to tomorrow and ultimately into eternity. We're going to conclude our service now. We're going to finish like we include all of our service, a time of invitation We invite you to receive God's gift for you. God's gift of eternal life. God's gift of the forgiveness of all sins. God's gift of heaven. It's a very real place. He has it for you. And in just a moment, our congregation will stand and sing. And if you want God's gift, I would encourage you. We'll have pastors down here at the front. Just come down here and tell them, I want God's gift for me. I want to know about a relationship with Christ. We'll pray with you and talk with you just for a moment about how you can have that relationship. Maybe you're here today and and you realize, you know, I I need to be a part of a church. Churches are not perfect places. This is certainly not a perfect place. Not a perfect place at all. But you know what? We're still the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his bride. And he wants every individual member to be active and involved with his bride, the church. If you need a church home, these pastors will be down here. Say, I'd like to become a part of Colonial Heights Baptist Church. As our congregation stands and sings, is God calling you? He's calling you because He loves you. Because He has a gift for you. You come to Jesus Christ.